Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of Once Saved, Always Saved. This program is a continuation of the previous one where I'm addressing specific verses that are usually brought up when people discuss this subject. In this program, I'm going to begin with 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Beginning in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, it says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. In verse 20, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. It's in verse 19 that people will usually raise this question, raise this issue. In verse 19, where he says, having some rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. What this verse suggests is that a person's faith can be shipwrecked, or they can effectively reject the faith. So what people will conclude is that, according to this verse, a person can reject their salvation, can turn away from the living God. They can be delivered to Satan, effectively, because they are blaspheming or whatever. The way that people will read this is that this is a verse that suggests that Paul was warning Timothy to be careful because he might find himself in a situation where he rejects the faith like others rejected the faith. So we also should be concerned about rejecting the faith because if we do, then we might end up in a similar situation that is described here where your pastor might turn you over to the devil or something to that effect so that you might learn a lesson. This is what people will begin to present. Now, I understand that the words are here. They are clear. I read them. They are here, beginning in verse 19, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected, concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. That's what it says. But there is an assumption here that I think needs to be clarified. And that is, were these two people really saved or not? As I expressed in a previous program, it was two programs before this one. This is program number nine. And it was in program number seven where I read from 1 John chapter 2, verses 17 through 19. That's 1 John chapter 2, verse 17 through 19. In verse 19, it is written that they went out from us because they were not of us. In other words, these were people who were recognized as being a part of the group. They were recognized as being people who were part of the congregation. But they were not saved. Just because you're in church doesn't make you a Christian. 
any more than being in a chicken coop makes you a chicken. So also, you're not going to become a Christian just because you go into a church and you start acting like a Christian. Reading the Bible, listening to the sermons, talking with people in a nice, polite way, that is not what is going to make you a Christian. However, there are lots of people who are like that, who esteem to be a part of the faith, who are considered to be a part of the faith from the perspective of the people. I have known many people like this. I've known lots of people like this. And some of them I have deliberately and aggressively asked them, how would you describe the gospel? I say aggressively because in general people will try to shy away from the question. You have to be a little aggressive sometimes if you really want to know who a person is and what they are really about. Not because you want a specific answer, but because you want them to really tell you what they really believe. Tell me what you really believe, not what I want to hear, but what you have to say. Tell me what's really on your mind. Tell me what's really on your heart. And I have found on many occasions that I have been in a situation where I was interacting with someone who was considered to be a part of the faith, even considered themselves to be a part of the faith, and yet they simply were not. They did not know the gospel. They had no interest in the gospel. They liked being a Christian. They liked being a member of the congregation. They enjoyed that, but they were not really believers. As far as I could tell, they were not saved. Now, of course, I don't need to be the judge concerning those things. I don't need to be the judge in the sense of passing judgment and declaring to this individual that they have a problem and that I am telling them that they have a problem because I'm the one who determines whether they have a problem or not. I'm not talking about that. I see that the evidence is overwhelming that the living God himself will be able to handle these issues just fine. He doesn't need my help concerning these things. If he is going to save someone then I am confident that he is going to save someone who really wants to be saved. He's not going to resurrect an individual who doesn't really want to be resurrected. He's fully capable of doing that. On that basis, I am confident, I have great confidence in being able to say that people can depart from the faith because they were never really a part of the faith. They may have been a part of a church or of a congregation. They may have been a part of an assembly to the extent that it gives the appearance that they are part of the faith. But that is our point of view. That is our perspective. From our limited understanding, we would see someone and say that they are a part of the faith. But from the Lord's point of view, he would never say that they were a part of the faith. He would never say that they rejected the salvation that they had. He would simply say, well, they never had salvation to begin with, and so what were they really rejecting? They were rejecting their misunderstanding of what salvation was. Or maybe they understood and they still rejected it. But my point is, is to make it clear, this has to be made clear, that we might believe something that is not true. But God does not. If they are not really a part of the faith, we might be deceived into thinking that they are. But the Lord is not going to be deceived. He's not going to be confused. And he, if he was questioned about this, would clearly say, in my opinion, he would clearly say that they left the faith because they were never a part of it. 
They were liars. They were deceivers, either deceiving themselves or deliberately deceiving others. Either way, it was not real. They left because it was not real. This is not unusual. People leave the faith in this way all the time. They're leaving something that they never really embraced, that they were never really a part of. Or, as I mentioned earlier, they were a part of something that wasn't real in and of itself. In other words, they were embracing a form of Christianity that was not a real form of Christianity. They were embracing a faith that was not the real faith. And so when they rejected that, they were rejecting a false faith, which by definition, they should reject. They should be shipwrecked from that. So you have to take these things into consideration When you read a passage such as this, and if you take these things into consideration, it's my opinion that passages like this are simply not difficult. Just take into consideration the different options that could be expressed here. Take into consideration the gospel that the Apostle Paul defined, and so when he is writing this letter to Timothy, he certainly is not going to contradict something else that he said in other places, or even in this letter that he wrote. And so do not underestimate the importance of recognizing that from God's point of view, no one ever really leaves the faith. They are either in the faith saved or they never entered into the faith and so that they are lost. From our point of view, a person may enter the faith and then leave the faith only because we are not given the discernment from God to determine whether a person is truly in the faith or not. And so this is a legitimate way for us to speak amongst ourselves. But from God's point of view, he would never be able to acknowledge that someone left the faith because he would never acknowledge that they were in the faith to begin with. Another thing to consider in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, is the word blaspheme that is used here. In the version that I'm reading, this is the New King James Version, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, I do have a bias concerning this word blaspheme. My understanding of blaspheme, which comes from my rabbinical Judaism, is that blasphemy has to do with declaring yourself to be equal with God. This can be done in many ways. But the heart of the matter is that a person does not really recognize that there is a God because how they live, how they express themselves, what they believe conveys the belief that this person is equivalent to God or is like God because there is no real God in the sense that people are trying to define him in the faith, in the faith that we have. So when he uses the word blaspheme, this gives me the indication that these two guys simply do not really believe in the one true God, in the living God, in the way that he has revealed himself. And so on that basis, it would only be a matter of time before they would express that in some way, express their independence in some way or express their way of life on the basis of good and evil, on the basis of their knowledge of how to live. There are many different ways that a person may do this, and so I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the varieties that can fit within the category of blasphemy. 
But when he uses this word here, this gives me another indication concerning leaving the faith or being shipwrecked. To me, it gives the indication that these were men, these were people who were being deceptive, who were being dishonest to a certain extent. And so it would just be a matter of time before this was exposed, before this was expressed, and they would simply depart. So that's how I read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, when it comes to this issue of whether or not a person can reject the salvation that they have. They cannot reject the salvation that they have if it is true salvation, but they certainly can reject a faith or a salvation that they believe in that isn't real. Continuing on into 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, where it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. This is a similar passage that falls in the same category of what he said in chapter 1. The same category in the sense that there are people who will depart from the faith. Why will they depart? They will depart either because they were embracing a false faith or because they were never a part of the faith to begin with. From God's perspective, if they departed, they certainly were never a part of the faith to begin with. From our perspective, we believed that they were, but then the evidence showed that they simply were not. We have to understand that. In order for us to understand and comprehend that, we simply express the fact that they left, they departed, they rejected. That's what they did. And we can have confidence that they did that because they were never a part of the real faith to begin with. And if you don't believe me or you don't believe them, just go ask the person who departed from the faith. I mentioned this in earlier programs. If you believe that a person can lose their salvation, go and ask the person who you believe has lost their salvation and ask them what their understanding of salvation was and is. Ask them to give you an explanation, and that will tell you, first of all, it will tell you what their understanding of the gospel and salvation is, They will tell you that, and then you can determine if their understanding of the gospel is legitimate, is true. And as I explained in the earlier programs, I explained that there are different gospels, there are different beliefs concerning the gospel, and you will have to make a decision. You will have to take a position. Now, of course, you can say that if they believe a gospel that is different from what you believe, then obviously... They left the faith because they were never a part of it. But if they say that they believed a gospel that you believe, then perhaps you ought to reconsider and reevaluate what your understanding of the gospel is. And I would like to refer you to the first two programs in this series or the program I developed on what is the gospel and further evaluate what your gospel is. Maybe you do believe in the gospel that allows a person to lose their salvation. But the gospel that I believe in, that I understand, 
it is not possible. But with others, I understand that it is. You have to take these things into consideration. Now, I have known many people who fit in this category. I could name names easily, which I'm not going to do on this program, but this is not difficult for me to do. I have known many people who fall into this category of First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, who fit in these verses very well. They are a very good fit for this because they departed from the faith. And I will say that they departed from a faith that was not an accurate, true faith, an accurate and true faith in the sense that it was according to the gospel. In general, it was a partial gospel, a half gospel, but it was not the complete gospel. They depart from what they were a part of. In general, they departed from that because they recognized that it was not meeting the deepest needs of their heart. They were not fulfilled in their being. They had no relationship with their God. So they were being honest with that, and they were turning away from that to something else. What would they turn to? They turned to the law in general. That's what I have found with those who are sincere, who are devoted, who are committed. They were committed and devoted to a gospel that was not true, was not complete. Therefore, there was no power, no relationship with their God. They turned away from that and turned To what? They turned back to the Old Covenant. They turned to the Mosaic Law. They turned to the laws with regards to foods, with regards to the dietary laws. They turned to the laws related to marriage. They turned to these kinds of things. They invoke the Old Covenant. They teach the Old Covenant because they never understood the New Covenant to begin with. So again... 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And what are those? Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created. Why are they commanding? To abstain from foods, they are commanding that on the basis of the Mosaic Law. Leviticus chapter 11, for example. They are talking about the law. They are burying people back under the law. Why would this be listed and described as doctrines presented through deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons? How can there be a correlation between deceiving spirits doctrines of demons, and the Mosaic Law. How can that possibly be? Well, try to remember back in the Garden of Eden who started all this to begin with. It was the devil who said that all you need to know is what is good and evil. Do that which is good, do not do that which is evil, and you will be like God. You will be a good person. You will be a good Christian, for example. This is the original satanic lie that caused all the problems that we have now to begin with. And so, yes, these would be considered to be doctrines of demons, deceiving spirits, telling people to go back under the Old Covenant, to go back under the Mosaic Law. Why? Because there is the belief that through forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain foods, there is this belief that through these things, you will become holy. 
you will become righteous. That is a departure from the faith. It is a departure from the true gospel that declares clearly that righteousness, holiness, these things are only achieved by faith through what our God has already done on our behalf, not through what we believe that we will be able to accomplish on our behalf. We are to rest in and trust in what he has done when we believe that the faith has something to do with then returning back to the law in terms of how we are going to live our daily lives, if that's the case, then you simply don't know the new covenant. You have no concept of what it is. You have no idea of what it means to live in the newness of life, what it means to live in the inheritance that we have received, what it means to rest in what he has accomplished, what it means to believe and trust in the forgiveness that you have received so that you can be resurrected from the dead and live being led by the Holy Spirit of God who leads us through his love and acceptance, meaning and purpose in our lives. So what I read when I read through 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 3, what I see here is I see that someone departed from the faith that Paul expressed that he defined, they departed from that to pursue a life under the Old Covenant. That is leaving the faith. The faith that the Lord Jesus brought into effect. If we were to still live under the Old Covenant, he wouldn't have to instantiate a new one. He wouldn't need to provide for reconciliation. He wouldn't need to restore the Holy Spirit, the spirit of life that was lost in Adam. These things would not be necessary. Because we already had the law. We already had a complete description of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, for further information on the topic of this being a doctrine of demons, or this being something that deceiving spirits would be involved in, for more information concerning this, listen to this series that I produced on the subject of spiritual warfare. It is in that series of programs that I put a lot of time into explaining the correlation between the devil, his demons, the fall of humanity, the knowledge of good and evil, and how they were able to use the law as a weapon against us to effectively destroy us, why the Lord would institute a new covenant, and how he disarmed the principalities and powers by taking the law and nailing it to the cross. I address these issues in the series I produced on spiritual warfare. I would like to encourage you to listen to that series for more information on this topic. In addition to that, I produced two programs on the subject of the dietary laws. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, we have the description of an individual who is commanding people to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. This tells me that what we have here, most likely, is that we have someone or a set of people, a group of people, who are directing people to return to the Mosaic Law. I did two programs on the subject of the dietary laws. Very important topic, especially to understand how the Lord our God isolated the nation of Israel until the time of the Messiah. Then what he did was he used the same laws, the dietary laws, in order to reunite the Jew with the Gentile under the Messiah. It's a very important topic, especially if you're going to understand many of the transitions that took place in the church 
during the time when the church was developing, as is described in the book of Acts. But for the remainder of this program, what I would like to explain is the correlation that I see between these two verses, between 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, and 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. This is the same letter, the same book. It's my opinion that the people he is referring to in chapter 4 are probably the two people that he referred to in chapter 1, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom he delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. To deliver them to Satan does correspond with chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, with regards to the doctrines of demons, does correspond to that. But what I would like to show you instead is the possibility that Hymenaeus and Alexander were people who were living as Jews. Either they were Jews or they were Jews because they were converted to Judaism. Either way, they would be declared to be Jews. What I see here is that Hymenaeus and Alexander were probably devoted to Judaism, devoted to Pharisaical Judaism, to the Mosaic Law. The Apostle Paul reached out to these two guys and spoke with them about Jesus being the Messiah. Now, they may have embraced the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. That is probably what they did in order to be recognized as being a part of the fellowship, a part of the faith to some extent. But just because they recognize that Jesus is the Messiah doesn't necessarily mean that they have truly embraced the new covenant. They may not have truly embraced what the Messiah came to do, what the Messiah came to accomplish through the new covenant. If they did not fully embrace the new covenant, then they would, by default, return to the old, return to the old covenant. They could continue to live a life under Pharisaical Judaism or according to Pharisaical Judaism. They could have done that, and maybe they would have acknowledged and agreed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they would not have acknowledged or agreed on what the new covenant is. So their understanding of the Messiah, what he came to accomplish, would be different from the Apostle Paul. Therefore, the Apostle Paul could say on that basis that they did not embrace the same Messiah as he did, but their understanding of the Messiah that they embraced is a different Messiah. Their Messiah would be the Messiah who would direct them to return to a life under the Mosaic Law. That would be a definition of their Messiah, and that's not the same Messiah as the Apostle Paul directed people to. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you.